Welcome. Pull up a seat, relax, and pour yourself a drink. You're invited to listen in on Bean and Bowman share life stories and personal perspectives. Welcome back. We're back with you today. And I, you know, it, it, it came to our attention that I just wanted to make it very clear about our relationship. The Bean and Bowman podcast is not only Bean and Bowman, it's also father-in-law and son-in-law. Steve Bean is my father-in-law. So this makes our conversation, uh, I think, even more, even richer, even deeper, and a heck of a lot of fun. And I'm really, really grateful to you. So thanks so much, Steve. Today, we are looking at a topic I've been looking forward to for, for a long time. It's called Different Comedy Styles That Evoke Laughter. And I really do think that the right person to be speaking on this subject happens to be you. Steve, you have uh, had a long-standing interest in comedy, both as a uh, as a as a viewer, as a, as a as one of the audience, but you've also been in front of the microphone as well. So, without further ado, take us there. Different comedy styles that evoke laughter. Thanks so much. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to start with the comedy stylings of uh, Stephen Bean, um, which are um, actually self-depreciatory uh, in nature and contrarian. That's what makes seems to make them funny. I performed this particular some of these um, some of this material at uh, Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle in Royal Oak, Michigan, in front of 450 people. Uh, each one uh, had about eight drinks before I showed up. So you know, I don't know. I, I don't recall much of the. Uh, they don't recall much of the event. Uh, I couldn't really see them because of the lighting, but they could see me. So some of the things that I said that evoked the enormous amount of laughter. I said, you know, I think I'm starting to feel old. You know, when you're getting old, when you look in the mirror and say, Dad, uh, I think that like that. Last month, I paid a $1,200 worth of bills to go to one of those baseball fantasy camps. And after the first workout, I got put on waivers. Okay. <laughs> um, I recently bought a parrot that talked, but it never said it was hungry, so it died. <laughs> And then I ended with, well, you've been a wonderful audience. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, remember, my name is Stephen Bean. If not, it's Bob Schmoynick. Thanks for coming. <laughs> Tip your bartenders. They're working hard back there for you. So that's me. You, you started off by, by, by describing it as self-deprecating, and you gave the examples of how that worked. And it did evoke, I mean, it, it definitely was funny. Why is it, and perhaps this is, you're going to get into this, but why is poking fun at yourself, self-deprecating, right? Poking fun at yourself, or uh, one could even say putting yourself down. Why does that? Why is that a funny thing? I, my my gut reaction should be that 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 it should be anything but funny, and yet people do laugh at that. That's a common thing. Why is that a funny thing to to poke fun at yourself? Because uh, they may be thinking along similar natures, and uh, but are not willing to do it because it's socially unacceptable. So uh, if you are willing to do it to yourself, they find it, they, they think they are feel free to laugh at that. 
Uh, well, so that's so interesting. So you're inviting them in a sense, you're inviting some people to say, hey, all of you, we all know the real truth. And that is, is that you, we all feel this way, but you haven't given, been given permission to acknowledge it. And what you're doing is you're putting it out there and people are nodding their heads going, <laughs> I can relate. I had another one that I had in there too. There's a community around here called uh, Hazel Park. And at the time that I did this, uh, Hazel Park had a lot of uh, Southern people that moved up from the South and, and lived there. So I said, I may be wrong, but I have this feeling that if you threw a banjo in the air in Hazel Park, anybody that caught it could play it. <laughs> and they all they all knew where Hazel Park was. So they thought that was hysterical because they all they would all they would so, sort of on one level agree with that. Let me ask you a question. Can you, I mean, is, is there a fine line? How do you know? How do you, as, as really as an expert in, in uh, comedy, how do you know where that fine line is between how far can you go? How far can you push that, that self-deprecation or, or, or poking fun at yourself or even at an entire community? Where is that line? It's only so long. The line has an end. You have to, you don't want to wear it out. Don't, mm. don't, uh, don't beat it to death. Just get through that and then switch to something else. That that's the way it should be done. You can't, you, you don't want to have a, uh, a complete act with that is self depreciatory. Right. Right. Okay. I let's move on. That. Good community. Tell that they, they have a feel for it. They have a feel for the audience, the nature of their laughing, when they laugh, how much they laugh, uh, things of that nature. Thank you. Okay. Let's, let's move on. So, you know, um, it turns out that uh, having done a lot of research on the com psychology of comedy, uh, researchers, don't, uh, researchers don't really fully understand what aspects of a joke or situation make it seem funny. Various theories have uh, been presented that people find uh, amusement in misfortunes of others. Um, there's an actual name for that in psychology called Schadenfreude, and uh, that is finding finding joy in the misfortunes of others, in the expressions uh, of otherwise forbidden emotions, uh, in juxtaposition, incompatible concepts, and in realizing that certain expectations have been violated. Mm -hmm. Once mm -hmm. you do that, it has an effect. One aspect that's been presented is that uh, it holds that humor is humor when a person simultaneously recognizes both that a norm has been breached and that breach is benign. Uh, you can't have a, you can't have a, something that's uh, that's offensive, malignant, or anything like that. Um, and laughter may have always evolved as a way to enhance connectedness in societies. For example, how many psychologists does it take to explain a joke? Well, many, actually, it turns out. Uh, as psychologist Kristen Jarrett noted in 2013 articles that he wrote, uh, featuring that riddle as its title, scientists still struggle to explain exactly what makes people laugh. Uh, indeed, uh, the concept of humor is, is itself elusive. Although everyone understands intuitively what humor is, uh, and dictionaries may define it simply as a quality of being amusing, it's difficult to, to define in a way that encompasses it in all of its aspects. It may evoke the, the merest smile or explosive laughter. It can be conveyed in words, images, actions, and through photos, films, skits, or plays. And it can take a wide range of forms, from innocent jokes to biting sarcasm, from physical gags and slapstick to cerebral double entendres. Even so, 
progress has been made. And some of the research that has come out of the lab to investigate humor and its natural habitat uh, in everyday life uh, has proven to be very, very interesting to the people that study that. I want to circle back to uh, your comment on the connectedness of laughter. You you brought up that point that laughter has a connectedness property to it. How does that happen? Uh, You know, is there... Is there, uh, I don't know, is there something going on physically? Is it emotional? When, I, when you're in a room and other people are laughing or when there is laughter and, and, and then I feel a sense of laughter, A, because whatever you said was funny, but is there a, a desire to also be connected to the other people who are laughing so I'm going to laugh as well? I mean, is there, is there that aspect? Yeah, I think as the uh, as our brains developed way back, laughter was uh, was built in as a relaxing mechanism uh, to evoke neuro neuro uh, chemicals that uh, relax people, uh, put them on the same wavelength, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, and you know reduced anxiety. Very good. So it's something that we we desire and we want to be part of that. And as you say, it's we're, we're wired for that, and it and it brings a certain sense of relaxation. Okay, I'd love to hear these examples. All right, the first one that I uh, that I've selected is a guy by the name of Stephen Wright. Um, he he his laughter is based upon the absurd. He presents totally absurd concepts, and they're so absurd that they're funny. I'll give you some examples. He said, everywhere is within walking distance if you have the time. Hmm. He also said, I was thinking about the new phone I bought, and the first thing I did was push redial. The phone had a nervous breakdown. Um, the next one was, when I get really bored, I like to drive downtown and get a great parking space, then sit in my car and count how many people ask me if I'm leaving soon. <laughs> okay. And the last, the last one is I spilled spot remover on my dog, and now he's gone. Now, this Stephen Wright, Stephen Wright does this with a straight face, like he almost believes it. Uh, his style is to is to present the absurd to people, which they find laugh evoking. Very, very good. The fact that he does it deadpan with a straight face that that's rather unusual, isn't it? I mean, my experience with correct me if I'm wrong with most comedians is, is that they use facial expression or, or intuition, intuition, what do you call it? To, um, uh, yeah, yeah. To, to convey their idea. And here he's saying it deadpan with a straight face. That's very, very unusual. That's a, that's incredible. Well, it's almost like he believes it. And, mm-hmm. uh, you're laughing at not only what he says, but the fact that he actually has a nerve to say it. Amazing. Okay. Next one was one of my all-time favorites, a guy by the name of Mitch Hedberg. Uh, he died very young at the age of 37 in 2005. He was probably, had he lived, um, he would have been one of the greatest uh, comedy stylists of all time. Some of the stuff that he said was, you know, not only the nature of his voice and his accent, uh, uh, the way he presented it, but I'll give you some examples of his humor that I, I found extremely funny. He said, I saw a TV commercial on TV the other day that said, forget everything you know about seat covers. So I did, and it was a load off my mind. Then when the commercial tried to sell me slip covers, I didn't know what the heck they were. (laughs) So you're sitting there watching this and say, well, my goodness. And I ran into a wino and he was eating grapes. I said, dude, you have to wait. Very good. And then I saw a commercial over the ground pool. 
It was 30 seconds long. You know why? That's about the maximum amount of time you can have depicting yourself having fun in an above the ground pool. <laughs> Very good. I like rice. rice. Rice is great when you're hungry and you want 2,000 of something. <laughs> right. Last, Ed, amongst other things, I really like escalators because escalators cannot break. They just become stairs. Nice, and nice, nice. People mostly don't think about, but they can think about them. Um, if they, if you bring it to their attention and they say, oh yeah, that's correct. It's like, it's like Steve Jobs. He started the concept that if you tell somebody they need something, uh, you may be right. He said, you know what you need? Cellular phone. And he was right. Okay. You don't, people don't know what they need until you tell them. Right. And so I think what Mitch is doing is he, it's almost like a, like a, a one, two punch to everything that you've shared just now with regarding Mitch Hedberg. In other words, he's giving you the example that we can all relate to. And then he comes around with the other punch, which is, and here's the problem, or here's the, right, or here's the, here's my observation. Right? He, he's, he's giving it, you know, the, the escalator turns into the stairs. I mean, could we, in other words, I, I, I see the escalator and then, yeah, he's right. How do you like that? It, yeah. I mean, so he, he comes, comes at you with a, with a one-two, it just seems to me. You can envision it. It happens to be true, but nobody probably ever said that to you. Right. Right, right. So what is that? Wh- wh- how does that trigger that smile that crosses your face, that laughter when you come to the realization that, yes, that's right. Why do, why do we, why is that humorous when we go? Yeah, and that, that, that never occurred to me, but that is that that's correct. Why is that funny? It's, it's funny because it happens to be, um, if you really dig down deep, it's, it's absolutely true. The, the, you could also put a sign at the end of the uh, broken escalator that says, sorry, escalator broken. Don't worry. It turns into stairs. But he observed this. So it has to do with the, there's many different uh, styles of comedy that can be presented to people that evoke the same, ex- that evoke the same laughter and amusement uh, depending on the receiver of the information and how it's presented. Very interesting. Okay, next. And my favorite of all, who I think is the most brilliant comedian, perhaps, that ever lived, is George Carlin. George Carlin did observational, social criticism, uh, controversial subjects, and was literally amazing in his, in his ability to memorize, perform it, pace of his words. And some of his, um, some of his observations are... Um, not only fit the world, but they fit the audience as well. So the audience, the audience finds them funny, such as, have you ever noticed that anybody driving slower than you is an idiot and anybody driving faster is a maniac? And you sit, you, you envision yourself in the car saying, now there's an idiot for you. So, and, and they think that that's funny. He also says, our, you know, we're always trying to save things. Our planet is fine. It's the people that are screwed up. And that brings laughter too. Okay. And we're all so self-important. Everybody's going to save something now. Save the trees, save the bees, save the whales, save those snails. And the greatest arrogance, save the planet. We don't even know how to take care of ourselves yet. And now we're going to save the planet? And people think that immediately funny because it's true. He said, if there is a God, uh, I'm convinced uh, it would be be a woman because no woman would ever screw things up this badly. (laughs) In America, anyone can become the president. That's the problem, okay? 
got to wonder about those people who spend two dollars on those little bottles of Evian water. Try spelling Evian backwards. Spelling backwards is N-A-I-V-E. And then lastly, he said, how is it possible to actually have a civil war? Mm. And the last one, the real last one was, I don't suffer from insanity. I enjoy every minute of it. Uh, George Carlin had had a a unique way of doing things. Unbelievable. I've watched, I think, every one of his presentations on YouTube. So, you know, it's very interesting because I think every one of the examples that you gave is touching on a very, very serious topic, a very serious issue. And somehow he unpacks it in a way that is, as you say, it's controversial, right? It's observational. And at the same time, he is not afraid to go head on into, I mean, into some of the most, you know, important topics of, of, of our time, whether it's God, whether it's politics. Okay. I mean, he, he, you know, he's, he's going head on into it. He's talking about, uh, uh, you know, talking about Evian water. So he's talking about, you know, you know, indulgence. How, how does he get away with that? How does, how does he actually do that successfully? And is he unique in doing that? In other words, do you think anybody else could actually get away with doing what George Carlin did? Uh, no, I think George Carlin's, I think that his facial gestures and his ability to present it, it's his mode of presentation that evokes laughter. I actually have one more you may a uh, guy you never really heard of, okay, okay, who I think is absolutely hysterical. Uh the guy's name is Gary Mule Deer. Okay. Gary Mule Deer. That's his name. He's been around for a long time. He's got some great material. Some of the stuff that he said that made me absolutely fall on the floor from it is uh it's been proven that more Americans watch television than any other appliance. <laughs> Which, which I think is very funny. Um, uh, I, I love I love this one. I was walking down the street with my wife when a when a pigeon flew over and dropped and dropped one right hit me smacking square in the forehead. My wife said, "Geez, I wish I had some toilet paper." And I said, "What's the point? The pigeon's at least a half a mile away from here by now." Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, that's that's <laughs> and um, you better laugh now because it doesn't get any better than this. Uh, a, a dog walks into a bar, jumps on a stool, orders a beer. Bartender says, wow, a talking dog. You should be working at a carnival. Dog says, why? Are they hiring electricians? <laughs> That's great. Gary, better laugh now. It's about as good as it gets. Gary Mule Deer. Wow. Yeah. wow. So what, what's his, what, why? why? So, okay. So let's, 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 let's drill a little deeper and go into why it particularly grabs you. Why does Gary Muldeer grab you? You personally, what is it? He's funny. Objectively, he's funny. Why do you consider him to be you personally, Steve Bean consider him to be brilliantly funny? Because what he says is totally ridiculous. Uh, when he comes out on stage, he's playing a guitar and he, and he sings too. And then a few minutes into the guitar thing, he says, wait a minute. And he shakes the guitar and some coins come out. And the people, the people in the audience are thinking this guy's on the street sometime and they would put quarters in his guitar. So that's somewhat self-depreciatory. Right, 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 right. All kinds of, of humor. There's all kinds of, it, it just, it's hard to categorize and say there's only one kind because there is. Clearly, clearly. And the examples are, are all over the place. And it is interesting. Now, as far as I want to go back for a moment onto George Carlin. You said that he also fits his humor to the audience. How does he 
measure or how does anybody measure you listen you 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 personally have been in front of the microphone as you mentioned you've performed at a comedy uh a comedy club comedy concert in front of over 400 people how do you measure the audience like when does that happen well the, the material is usually geared to the audience demographic um you can uh, uh, for example um George Carlin appeals to young people because you, they're they're not easily offended, and so he appears to to he uses a lot of foul language that which doesn't bother them, male or female, they don't care, um, as long as long as it's funny, and and they fill the place up every time to see him, and and so it's it's very it's a wide open subject uh, humor. You can write from the absurd, you can write for self depreciation. You can you, when I did my comedy act at uh, at uh, Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle, mine was meant mine was actually meant for a local uh, diversified audience. Mm-hmm. That's that's what they have there. These are people that uh, this was on December 26th, right after the holidays. So that I think it has to be. I think it, first of all, it has to be demographically valid. You can't you can't take George Carlin and put him in in front of a group of 80 year olds. They're going to be, first of all, totally offended. They're 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 going to be they're be oh my god, insulted, offended, uh, turned off by this, walk out the door, whatever. But that same material in front of twenty five year olds gets rave reviews. Mm-hmm. And then now you're up there. Let's go. Let's let's talk about your experience. You were standing up in front of the audience. You looked at your demographic. You knew beforehand going into it that it was going to be a local audience now you get up there do you have the flexibility to make any changes in any way shape or form based on the feedback that you're getting yeah i mean i I put one in during the middle that i hadn't thought of doing was i'm not very big i you know i only weigh like 120 pounds 125 pounds five foot six whatever i said uh, as you can tell i'm a bodybuilder Uh uh-huh and that's i Went into the store to buy some new dumbbells. Pause. Uh, I asked for a carryout. <laughs> okay. They thought it'd be funny, actually. Right, right, right. So you were able to, you, you decided to put that one in uh, kind of like on the fly based on the well, fact that on um, the feedback you were getting. So I could poke fun at myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very good. When is, let me ask you a question. When is, is there ever a time when uh, humor or comedy just, I mean, is not, is not in place? Is there ever a time for that? Yeah, that's where that's, that's exactly right. When they, when they made a demographic flaw error, you can, you can say any form you want, as long as they are receptive to that form. If they're not receptive to that form, you know, it's like very often African-American stand-up comedy is done to other African-Americans like Chris Rock. Chris mm-hmm. Rock spends all day long insulting other African-Americans and they think that's hysterical, but he can get away with that. Mm-hmm. Okay? He is African-American and they know what he's saying is true. They just, they, but it's okay for him to say it because he's a, he's him. And right. They, we they, see that we, right, right, right. And we see that also with, for example, also in the Jewish comedy, um, what was his name? Myron. Myron Cohen. Myron Cohen, Buddy Hackett. The, you know these. You know uh, um, these are these are people who who uh, as Jews they would you know Don Rickles. I mean these are people who who would make fun at uh, as a Jew, as a Jewish comedian would make fun at other you know about Jews. You couldn't you know obviously 
if he wasn't Jewish, he couldn't get away with that. So that's very, very interesting. So there's a certain a cultural, uh, almost like a, a convention, a cultural agreement um, about w- who you can joke about and who you can't. Yes, right. That's that's another one. Eth- ethnic humor works only well when you are with the same ethnic audience. Um, it, it works with it's cro- it's cross cultural. It's it's uh, I've seen I've seen uh, Indian uh, from Asia uh, comedians make fun of other Indians' parents or how they their accent is. I've seen that done with black comedians. I've seen that done with Catholic comedians. It's like there was a great Catholic comedian. I don't recall his name now. He says, I'll never forget my childhood. I'll never forget my childhood. I remember all my teachers. I went to Catholic school, you know. Uh, my shop teacher was um, Sister Mary Black and Decker. I'll never forget. Um, I, um, you know, how can I uh, possibly forget her? Uh, and he had he had a number he had a number of other ones too. Uh, he said I, I loved uh, geometry. I loved the teacher too, Sister Mary Hypotenuse, and uh, it, it, it that, that was very funny to them because a lot of them went to Catholic school, and uh, so they said <laughs> they said yeah that's oh yeah that's funny that's funny. So um, the, the 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 subject of humor and the psychology is is based upon the the development, I think, of the reptilian brain that would unite people, take the pressure off of people, make them share some commonality. And uh, it's it's a remarkable subject that fascinates me. And and that's, you know, the the way it works. If you really want a great experience, look up Gary Mule Deer, Mule Deer uh, on, uh, on, uh, uh, you know, on, on the Internet, and you'll see how funny he is. He looks a lot like Johnny Cash. Actually, if you didn't know any different, you think he's Johnny Cash, and the guy's been around a long time. He's so funny that you could just—he's so funny, you will get the hiccups from watching him perform. Well, I'm so glad you uh, introduced me, and I'm sure other people who may not have heard of Gary Mule Deer will definitely be looking at him. This has been very, very, very interesting. I think the subject of humor. I agree with you. It's uh, it's it's fascinating. It's something that uh, everybody can relate to, and I think you've really, you know, uh, explained and and taught us a lot today on this. Well, any other resources? Where where do you get your? Where do you like to turn to in terms of humor and comedy? Do you what do you watch and what do you read? I I watch everything that I mentioned so far. I watch them on YouTube, and uh, I think I have just boosted Gary Mule Deer's career by a thousand percent because people ever heard of Gary Miller, and I think the name that each his real name was was Gary Miller and they said uh, no nah, that's not funny uh, so they uh, it's, it, it, so they somebody said to him what I don't know how they got the origin of this they said why don't you change your name to Gary Mule Deer that's funny so I said okay I'll be Gary Mule Deer um, and um, when I never heard of the guy before and then I happened to run across him and is just He's just totally funny. Sounds like it. Sounds like it. Okay, this has been this has been a this has been a riot. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's supposed to be a riot, right? <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thank you so much, and uh, this has been very very enjoyable. I'm looking forward to our next conversation. Okay. Take care. Tip your bartenders. We're working hard back there for you. <laughs>